Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just a quick note before you listen to this. Um, this is a spoiler warning <laughs> for Ghostwatch from 1992. I do, <laughs> I do recommend you go and watch it, but maybe watch it first, then listen to this. Carry on. Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to a special um, episode of Wiki Shuffle. Um, as um, we've stated with our last special, um, every so often we're going to be putting together a little shorter episode where we abandon our usual format and each of us take it in turn to select an article that we found particularly interesting that we found on Wikipedia. Um, might be an area that um, interests us specifically or just something that um, might be noteworthy and we can we can have a little chat about and read out the article um, for you listeners at home. Today, um, so my name's Phil, I'm joined by Jack and Chris. All right. Hello. <laughs> We're doing it backwards, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not used to this. Um, and this week, uh, or this month for the special, um, it's Chris's turn um, to pick a special topic. It is. Um, um, and I've picked one which is relevant to my interests. Oh God, I don't like your interests. <laughs> <laughs> your interests bore me. No, you're like, oh, you, no. you'll be, you, well, you don't like it, you'll be right with it. Okay. And um, before we get into that, should we issue an apology for any extra noise you may hear? <laughs> yeah, there is the fact um, that somebody just outside the um, room where we're recording the, the podcast. The studio. The studio, yeah, <laughs> um, is demolishing a shed. Um, I don't think there's any other, that's not a euphemism. It sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> banging away. Um, banging away, um, demolishing a shed. Um, so if there is any... Um, extra extra noise think of it as an enhancement so without further ado um we will um take a look at this special entry for wiki shuffle um which is on ghost watch really is this the bbc this is the bbc i haven't seen this have you never seen this no and i I keep meaning to see it but um, you would actually from the 80s yeah 1992 okay interesting all right it's not batman it's not. I, I was expecting Batman or Turtles. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> or just like old women or something like that. The so times of Kirsty Young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ghostwatch is a British reality horror mockumentary television movie first broadcast on BBC One on 31st of October 1992. Now, 
without wanting it to become a recurring theme where we mention how much older <laughs> oh, I am than go. you guys, you can't remember seeing this no. when it came out live. No, I didn't watch it live, but I did watch it when I was very young. Um, Too young? No, yeah, yeah, probably was because it's actually quite terrifying. Because I rewatched it again recently, and if it was the early nineties and this came out, there's no internet, so people can't look up and see what's going on here. Parkinson's just like roaming the studio. <laughs> it's, it's it's an in, interesting program. It's pretty scary though. Mm, okay, yeah, I, we would have been four, four when this was out. Yeah. yeah, I didn't see it when I was four, but then at the same time, I do have a lot of knowledge of Brookside that I shouldn't have. I know a lot that's happened in Brookside, and I would be way too young. You you seem to know all the the storylines from Brookside in the eighties yeah. before you were born, even, mm-hmm. um, and you know that in great detail. Yeah. So there is some doubt as to whether you're actually thirty odd. Yeah, and I can't find my birth certificate, mm. so something's went on. There's a possibility something's went on. And you look very old. I do you look could very you could old. easily pass for forty. Yeah, I've heard that before. No offense. It's all right. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> An ugly 40. Some offence. Oh. <laughs> Let's not mention Phil's age. <laughs> well, I'll mention it for you, and I'll tell you that in 1992, I was 12, and I was peak demographic for the television special Ghost ah, Watch. Did you watch and it? And so I remember watching it um, at the time. Hmm. Um, however, I was quite a cynical 12-year-old. And oh, that's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and although it was super creepy and um, I, I, I remember being creeped out about it, I don't remember seeing the whole thing. I do remember it being a big cause of conversation in the playground the next day. Mm. Um, but I don't think I was taken in by it particularly. But anyway, a lot of people listening aren't going to understand what the hell we're talking about. So let's elaborate on what Ghostwatch was um, and um, see what Wikipedia in particular can shine a light on. Despite having been recorded weeks in advance, the narrative was presented as live television. Following its first and only UK television broadcast, the show attracted a considerable furore. As yet, Ghostwatch has only ever been repeated on television outside the UK, on stations such as the Canadian digital channel Scream for Halloween in 2004 and the Belgian channel Canvas in 2008. Ghostwatch received a huge audience and resulted in an estimated 30,000 calls to the BBC switchboard in a single hour. The programme you're about to watch is a unique live investigation of the supernatural. It contains material which some viewers may find to be disturbing. No creaking gates, no gothic towers, no shutter windows. Yet for the past 10 months... This house has been the focus of an astonishing barrage of supernatural activity. This footage was shot by parapsychologists investigating the case. Now, you're about to see one of the incidents that have earned this house its reputation. Let's see what you think. Turn the light off. Mum said if you don't. Right. All right. Mom! 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 Mom!
because they did put the phone number on the screen and it was oh, i think they're going to come on to that um so people i think people were genuinely terrified when this was on um, in 2002, the British Film Institute released a 10th anniversary edition on VHS and DVD, um, and I'm guessing that would have been when you saw it? Probably, yeah. I definitely didn't watch it on TV. Um, so what? So the idea was that they were creating something... So sort of like an episode of... What, what's that one with that twat? What's that one with that twat? Um, you know... Derek Akora. Most Haunted. Most Haunted. Very sim- Is it basically just Most Haunted? It's the, it's where the they pretend that something basic, haunted is basically happening. Basically, this film is the... This film, here's a film. is the starting point. Because I love horror films. And this is the starting point for so many films that people go to see now. If you look at... I think it's, it's even mentioned that the Blair Witch Project, they watch that. This okay. first. And then you've got Paranormal Activity. And any It's like the found footage sort of... Most Haunted. Yeah. That, this seemed to have been the starting place for it. But with a much more naturalistic premise than all the fan footage things that really have to crowbar in the reason why they've got this footage. The setup was we're doing a documentary, it's airing live, and it just gelled more as a, a sensible idea than because it's so convoluted. The fan footage mm-hmm. thing that's usually everywhere yeah. at the moment. Um, But let's talk a little bit more about the actual um, plot summary. The 90-minute film was a horror story shot in a documentary style and appeared as part of BBC Drama's Screen One series. It involved BBC reporters performing a live on-air investigation of a house in North Alt, Greater London, at which poltergeist activity was believed to be taking place. Through revealing footage and interviews with neighbours and the family living there, they discovered the existence of a malevolent ghost nicknamed Pipes, Um, The children in the house had asked their mother about noises heard, and she said it was the Pipes, hence the name. Um, As the programme proceeds, viewers learn that Pipes is the spirit of a psychologically disturbed man called Raymond Tunstall, himself believed to have been troubled by the spirit of Mother Seddons. In the course of the programme, Pipes makes various manifestations which become more bold and terrifying, until at the end, the frightened reporters realise that the programme itself has been acting as a sort of national seance through which Pipes was gaining horrific power. Finally, the spirit unleashes its power to the fullest extent, dragging host Sarah Green to her probable death behind a doorway and then escaping to express poltergeist activity throughout the country. He takes control of the BBC studios and transmitter network, using the Ghostwatch studio as a focal point and possessing Michael Parkinson in the process. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. Honestly, you should watch it, because... The, the bit that sticks with me the most about it is everybody else seems to be on it like Craig Charles is in it, in it and he definitely feels like he's doing his best acting mm. he's doing the best he can Parkinson it's almost as if no one's told him it's not real because he sort of bumbles around the studio <laughs> just yeah. going oh I don't know about this <laughs> because the people we're talking about here they're not actors these no. I mean a lot, some people listening aren't going to necessarily know who these people are but these are established and um, very popular TV presenters well, well let's, in... let's try and figure out the American equivalent so the American equivalent of Parkinson would be Letterman I suppose it's, yeah not far yeah. off uh, he was, um, especially at this time in the early 90s he'd have been at the peak of his success and he'd have been a, a big deal as a serious talk show host and um, um, wasn't Sarah Green was a Blue Peter presenter wasn't she yes yeah, so she was a sort of kids yeah. TV presenter um, and Craig Charles was he, was he in Red Dwarf in 1992 yeah, 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 yeah that, was, that would have yeah. just been starting then so these were and Sarah Green and um, Mike Smith were real life husband and wife as well so yeah. they had they worked together all the time and uh, so so viewers 
didn't know that this wasn't real and they saw Sarah Green being dragged off to her presumed yeah. death. That's pretty hardcore, really. Well, what the BBC did was they did put out a thing that said that this isn't this isn't real, you know. But people didn't seem to listen. People are stupid. Yeah, and there it, there was a big thing about it. Yeah, I don't think that they. Were, I think we're going to talk. I imagine it'll come on to this a bit more because I don't think um, that the warnings were ever so clear. Certainly, as I, I remember, I don't. Rem- I didn't see um, that on the. But then I was only twelve, and um, it was a long time ago. Mm. Um, Hang on, before we move on, pipes. Yeah, pipes. 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 That was his name. It's quite good because it doesn't sound written, and that was mm. the thing about it. And none, nothing about it felt written. It felt as though, yeah, if you got some kids, and uh, you know, that's that that story makes sense as a backstory. If you, I suppose, if you yeah. do watch it back, you can the sort of wonkiness of it adds to the reality. Like those kids, and they said, "Oh yeah, we called it pipes because our mum blamed it on the pipes." You, they wouldn't put that in a film, but kids would do that. Yeah, they? I guess, I guess. And it was pretty, yeah, convincing. Even if it was like early nineties and everybody had weird hair. <laughs> <laughs> in truth, the story, though based on the tale of the Enfield poltergeist, was put into production months before and was complete fiction. However, the presentation contained realistic elements, which suggested to a casual viewer that it was an actual documentary. Um, a phone number was shown on the screen that viewers could call in and discuss ghostly phenomena. The number was the standard BBC call-in number at the time. I remember that number. Gone. Well, I've got it on the screen now. I've, oh. I've, I've fired um, it up on my laptop while we've been talking. But yeah, I remember that. I still yeah. remember quite a lot of them. I think I remember Live and Kicking's number. Is I definitely what... remember old uh, the Big Breakfast's address. Do you remember what's the address for the big breakfast? Um, lock keepers cottages, Old Ford Lock, London E three two N N. Easy. Uh, the number in question here, because you're all trying to remember it now, is oh eight one eight one one eight one eight one. And callers who got through were connected first to a message telling them that the show was fictional before being given the chance to share their own ghost stories. However, the phone number was besieged by callers during the showing and many people who telephoned simply got an engaged tone. <laughs> I, just, I don't think Americans use the, the word engaged either, so... Busy. Busy. The line was busy. Oh, God. Are we just about catering to Americans? Is that what we're doing yes. now? Well, you've got to be aware of the large American demographic. Ugh. The set and filming methods, including shaky handheld video cameras, lent a documentary feel. Most convincing of all was the use of actual BBC personalities playing themselves. Sarah Green and Craig Charles were the reporters on the scene of the house, while Mike Smith, Green's real-life husband, and Michael Parkinson linked from the studio. Ghostwatch was originally conceived by writer Stephen Volk as a six-part drama series in which a fictional pup that word's harder than you think. <laughs> Ghostwatch was originally conceived by writer Stephen Volk as a six-part drama series in which a fictional paranormal investigator and a TV reporter investigate poltergeist activity at a North London housing estate, gradually discovering more elements of the mystery each week. This would have culminated in the final episode in a live TV broadcast from the property in the vein of Nigel Neal's The Quartermass Experiment and Quartermass and the Pit in, bif- in both in both of which all hell breaks loose. However, when producer Ruth Bum... Ruth Bum? <laughs> it's always a good name. Ruth Baumgarten, or Bumgarden... Like the fella that jumped out of the plane. 
Yeah, he was Ruth Baum- Baumgarten, Baumgarten doubted the viability of an entire miniseries and recommended instead a 90-minute TV special. Volk suggested that they do the whole thing like episode 6, portraying it as an actual live broadcast fronted by well-known TV personalities. The BBC, however, became concerned about the effect the broadcast would have on the public and very nearly pulled the show shortly before broadcast. Ultimately, they insisted on adding opening credits, including the writer's name, in addition to a screen one title sequence. So it looks like they reined them in a little bit then um, from absolute deception. And yet people still fell for it. It was a more innocent time, I suppose. I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm sure... You can you, you were... can do that now without there being a constant ticker that says yeah. this is not real. Don't ring up. But Please they wouldn't do not put a phone, phone in now. You may be charged. Yeah, they wouldn't. Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, that I guess as well. You didn't have um, on-demand TV, so you couldn't just start at the very beginning of the episode. You had to be sat in front of your TV mm-hmm. at that time. So yeah, uh, if you can get, turn, if you missed yeah. the start, maybe you would be terrified. If you tuned in at the end when Sarah Green gets pulled into a cupboard, you'd think. Oh, we've lost Sarah Green. <laughs> she's gone now. How will Blue Peter carry on? Well, she definitely Blue Peter. I'm pretty sure she's Blue Peter. Someone um, said, someone said, this is a total tangent, but someone said the other day, and I've never realised before, but the one show is just Blue Peter, but for adults. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Even has the same, one of the same presenters as Blue Peter. <laughs> it does. It's just, let's go to a box factory. Is it because um, all the people that watch Blue Peter... I've now grown up, and some of them can't, is can't it, get past, can't get past, it. past <laughs> Is it for adults? I assumed that it was for the elderly. Is that... They, not... ad, they, they count as adults, Phil. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the next section is called Supernatural Depictions. Mm. Oh. This was a big part of this. It was, and there's a photo here um, of the um, the actor Keith Ferrari who played Pipes good name and they've gone to <laughs> yeah. town with his makeup there they've they've yeah. not they've not scrimped I'm sorry but if your surname is Ferrari Keith. then Keith is the most unsuitable <laughs> first name <laughs> yeah Keith Ferrari I mean I, I chose that as his stage name no. <laughs> The film's fictional villainous spectre, referred to by the children as Pipes and credited simply as Ghost, is depicted as a merging of negative spiritual energies which parapsychologist Dr. Pasco theorises have been accumulating for years, possibly back to prehistory. In f- its physical appearance mostly resembles that of a deceased child molester, Raymond Tunstall, a fictional character who, it is revealed by a phone-in caller, committed suicide at the haunted property sometime in the 1960s after himself being possessed by the entity. Technology. Many methods familiar to modern ghost hunting shows such as Most Haunted are demonstrated in the show, some of which were either genuine state-of-the-art technology at the time or simulated to give the idea that they were real. The house was allegedly equipped with motion detectors, temperature sensors and covert cameras. The temperature sensors were referred to as being able to check for dramatic changes in temperature that ghost hunters link to real-life ghost sightings. One major feature of the show was a genuine thermographic camera which, although it did not pick up any ghosts, came in very handy when all the lights failed at the end of the show. That was good. I mean, there was a bit at the beginning where... Because you see all the cameramen and stuff, they really do their best at making this look very real. 
It was just... It, it, def- it definitely had the feel of being a, a real documentary, which is a, a difficult thing to put up, pull off. I don't think you could do it now. With Twitter and Reddit, I just don't think it's possible to do anything of this scale and get away with it. You also couldn't get away with it because the public were <laughs> in hysteria. <laughs> Um, I think the it sounds like the hysteria was was pretty big then as well, and so and certainly, obviously, the the big comparison that's always made between this is the radio airing of the War of the Worlds, mm. um, which did a very similar trick in so much as that tried to pretend to be a real news broadcast that was actually talking about the invasion of of the Earth, and it was the the same um, misleading premise. Mm. And yeah, I think you could. Um, Context is everything with this. I think yeah. the the difficulty with it is getting that tone right. And the thing that drives me absolutely crazy in so many films is when they try and put pretend news stories in, and they just don't get that. Doesn't they don't make it sound like an actual news story? They, yeah, they, they get the tone completely wrong. I think it's on, on a lot of them. Um, I can't remember the one I watched recently, but they get genuine BBC presenters. To it, pop I was going to say I, that was probably Alpha Pepper. Was it? Um, because I thought that when I was I was watching rewatching it the other week, uh, this is Alan Partridge for any um, non Brits listening. He's he's really good. You should watch him. Um, so yeah, they had actual BBC news reporters. They had the actual graphics. They had Stuart White from Look East, which was quite weird seeing him on the big screen. <laughs> um, he loved it. Yeah. Well, why not? Um, and yeah, that that authenticity is very rare in films because they normally do just look incredibly fake. Yeah, or they'll be they'll be from like some made-up news channel, like CNC or something. Yeah, but because, like you said, these are written by the people making the film. They're not written as news reports. Mm-hmm. And it does come across. I think there was one in Skyfall where they got a genuine news... And um, there's loads of them. Sean of the Dead as well. Mm-hmm. And it just comes across really badly because they're writing it for their film, which is understandable, but not they're not trying to present the news. Um, this yeah. was a, a, a really good way of... It was, it was really effective at portraying a genuine live event Mm. the ghost described by characters in the program as disfigured androgynous person wearing a buttoned up robe or dress appears a total of eight times during the course of the film these are often fleeting almost subliminal appearances and can be found by skipping ahead to the following points um and then it lists the eight appearances that he makes because it it definitely got a a very developed arc to it where it started off being played completely straight it's not as if it just opened and mayhem pursued it started off setting it as nothing going on laying the scene they actually wanted you to be quite skeptical with michael parkinson and you were like oh this is you're gonna get a few like knocks and stuff it's not going to be anything craig i think a lot of the time craig charles was just taking the piss so there are eight scenes where we get to see the apparition. The first is during playback of haunted of the haunted bedroom footage. Um, in the studio, the presenters examine video footage of the of a bedroom scene in which a shadowy figure can be seen behind the curtains in the bedroom of Suzanne and Kim Early. Three versions of the apparition are shown intermittently to confuse the viewer: one with the figure, one where it's slightly faded out, and one where it's not seen at all. Um, so people really just aren't sure whether this what they're saying, and the people that do still think that it's a um, a real documentary. And um, when I watched this back, this was really clever. How they did this, it, it seems quite ahead of its time because they did show you this same shot and there was nothing there, and then they popped something in and then they cut back, and Michael Parkinson would say, "Oh, we've had this caller in," and she says, 
can see something and they show you it and you don't see anything and then they skip a little bit but then you do see something and then they show the yeah. same bit again and you're like I don't know whether I did it's very clever and the presenters are sharing in that doubt yeah. as well there's not as if there's somebody that, that holds the mm, knowledge really here um, it's, it's a shame that they didn't or they they weren't able to to do this without warning because it just sounds cool it is it is just shit everyone up why yeah. not mm. And this is 21 minutes in, so there's been a, up until this point, it's been an episode of Most Haunted. Yep. So it really has, it's before, you're a good half hour in before anything weird even begins to happen, um, which was a, a, an effective tool. I, it's making me really want to watch it again. You should. Um, I'm watching it recently. I've watched it a few times now over the years because it is just, it's a, it's a little bit of like a masterclass in how to make something creepy because mm. it just does it really well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch it. It's not afraid of, maybe because it is 1992, it's not afraid of taking the piss out of you. And it will play with you. And the things that they do, like this animal mutilation and stuff, it gets really dark. Mm. (laughs) And the kids get like scratches on their faces. And it goes somewhere that you didn't expect it to go. But then at the end, it gets a little bit weird. (laughs) I really miss when TV would take the piss out of its viewers. Like even with kids TV like Dick and Dom or SMTV. Yeah. They would relentlessly take the piss out of kids remember? who called yeah. in. You would never like get away with anymore. Wonky Donkey, yeah. Just he just shouted at these kids. Yeah, he'd be fuming at these <laughs> tiny children who just don't understand that the point of the game was to make something rhyme. Yeah. And you'd, yeah, you you'd just go off, off, you don't, off the handle at them. You don't get to hilarious. do that anymore. Oh, the good old days when I was a kid and things were all so much better. No, no, no. <laughs> Things that they did to kids when you were a child. <laughs> <laughs> Things that TV presenters did back then. That's not okay. Me and Chris lived in the sweet spot. <laughs> but there was, yeah, there was um, a bit more of a respect for the viewer. It's like, well, yeah, enjoy it. This is going to be a bit of fun. And yeah, the don't end, treat gonna... them like idiots. Yeah, but now it is treating them like idiots. Can you imagine the one show, like, taking a piss out of a caller? Just no, it no, but then Wogan wouldn't have taken the piss out of it. Everything's got its space, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, and there's, there is a line. There's a line between having a laugh with somebody and taking the piss out of somebody. Um, I think this was definitely... We're going we're gonna to have a bit of fun, but at the end of it, you're going to enjoy it, and we're all going to have a drink, and yeah, we're going to be happy. Clearly that didn't work, no, it didn't some happen. members of the public... <laughs> I don't want to be too snobby, but obviously some have well, there's have more. taken it way too seriously. There's, there's more. I'd just like to say, we decided that using the phrase engaged tone was a bit too much for our American listeners. Using the phrase wonky donkey without explanation, <laughs> though, that's just fine. <laughs> Good point. In both alleged recordings and live segments of the show, we see objects moving of their own accord, which it is claimed is a result of poltergeist activity. Also, a perfectly round patch of water appears on the living room carpet and animal scratch marks appear on Suzanne's face. Banging noises are intermittently heard during the climax of the show. At one point, the producers play on this by exposing Susan as the one causing the banging noises, creating a hoax within a hoax. Uh, we've, We've missed a big trick here because we've had banging in the background of this uh, this episode oh. so we could have done a podcast version of ghost watch a hoax within a hoax within yeah. a hoax oh, uh, layers oh we could still do that it's like inception i, I didn't want to say that <laughs> so you said it <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't know how we would go i don't think it's we're clever enough now. to it's be honest 
Yeah. But at least everybody knows that we were, we had that thought just a bit. It doesn't really work on audio either. Oh, Chris has just been dragged into a cupboard. <laughs> Presumed dead. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. Is that, is that what would happen? Uh, well, yeah, the show must go on. Yeah, okay. Disembodied voices. Although the ghost of the story is only heard to speak through the voices of others, we hear the disembodied sounds of cats whenever phenomena are taking place. Yeah. But, the, well, he, the animal mutilation thing, he, he killed cats. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Lots mm. of spoilers. Controversy. So this is where we um, we look into the, the, the overreactions <laughs> of the great British public. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although Ghostwatch was aired under the Screen One drama banner, its documentary style led many viewers to believe the events were real, causing much controversy after the show's airing. The BBC was besieged with phone calls from irate and frightened viewers, and British tabloids and other newspapers criticised the BBC the next day for the disturbing nature of some scenes, such as Green's final scene where she is locked in an understairs cupboard while the howling ghost and Parkinson's eerie possession scene. A long-running rumour that Sarah Green had advertised the programme on her Saturday morning children's show Going Live, including a visit to the location of the haunting, which gave the impression that she was taking part in a reality show, was debunked via the Ghost Watch Behind the Curtain blog. Um, so apparently there was a story going around that she'd advertise the show to children yeah. like it although I was only 12 when I watched it so perhaps that worked apparently, I, don't, I don't think that did happen though they did they did debunk it because, but she that's what she was she was a kids TV presenter mm. so and it, I think it was on you can you can see if kids were maybe it was the wrong decision to have her in it because if kids were watching that imagine if we'd seen Connie Huck be Dragged into a cupboard. Be, yeah. Be disemboweled on live TV. <laughs> that, yeah, you would have some sort of psychological yeah. effect from that. Green did appear on the following Monday's children's BBC strands to reassure younger viewers that the show was not real. Oh, at least that's what the voices in her head were making her say. <laughs> The reaction to the programme led to the BBC placing a decade-long ban on the programme being repeated after its initial broadcast. The British Film Institute released it on VHS and Region 2 DVD in November 2002. A number of psychological effects were reported in Ghostwatch's wake. 18-year-old factory worker Martin Denham, who suffered from learning difficulties and had a mental age of 13, committed suicide five days after the programme aired. We've taken a turn because this is Wikishuffle and this is what we do. That is a turn. The family home had suffered with a faulty central heating system which had caused the pipes to knock. Denham linked this act to the activity in the show, causing great worry. He left a suicide note reading, If there are ghosts, I will be with you always as a ghost. His mother and stepfather, April and Percy Denham, blamed the BBC. They claimed that Martin was hypnotised and obsessed by the programme and the Broadcasting Standards Commission refused their complaint along with 34 others as being outside their remit. But the High Court granted the Denhams permission for a judicial review requiring the BSC to hear their complaint. 
In its ruling, the BSC stated that the BBC had a duty to do more than simply hint at the deception it was practising on the audience. In Ghostwatch, there was a deliberate attempt to cultivate a sense of menace. They ruled that the programme was excessively distressing and graphic, referring to the scratches on the children and reference to the mutilated animals, and that it had aired too soon after the 9pm watershed. They further stated that the presence in the programme of presenters familiar from children's programmes took some parents off guard in deciding whether their children could continue to view. That does seem to be the big thing, the fact that it had kids' TV presenters in it. That maybe was irresponsible, but you can't... Blame it's a really that's tricky a, one. That's a strange. I mean, how much duty of care does the BBC have with stuff like that? Well, that's a that's a strange um, chain of events, really. Mm. I mean, but I it's not it's not unbelievable. I mean, because like we said at the beginning, the story with the kids and the central heating and the pipes, a lot of houses have that. Mm. It's it does make sense for kids to think that, and if you do have learning difficulties or that. Or then or anything, that. anything could potentially yeah. be a trigger. There, you can't just wrap the entire world in cotton. No, wool, you can't. Can you? Um, and yeah. but with that, that is a direct. This man committed suicide because of this. I think if you're, if you and, have a, you know, if you have a fair enough, he's eighteen, but he had the mental age of a thirteen-year-old. If you have a child who has the mental age of a thirteen-year-old, it is the parents' responsibility to not have them watch stuff after watershed. Mm. Um, we should explain that as well because I think that's a British thing. So watershed is night after nine pm. You can anything anything goes, goes on TV oh. basically. <laughs> so you won't have any swear words or nudity or anything before nine pm. But the second it ticks over, so everybody's nude. nude. Yeah, you've got a kid. You know they shouldn't be watching mm. stuff after nine pm, especially um, if they have yeah. mental difficulties. Anyway, it's your responsibility to make sure that kid's not watching. I hundred percent agree with you. But then the devil's advocate, um, they did have children's TV presenters doing it. Yeah, and the parents you're criticising there are mine since I was 12 when I watched it. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that's true. Fair and enough. my mum is listening right now. You tell her what you think of her parenting <laughs> style. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Shalman. Um, yeah, I know. And I know that I watched South Park and stuff when I was 10. But it's still, you know, if I saw South Park and decided that I was going to, I don't know, get an anal probe, that's my mum's fault. <laughs> 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 when you boil it down Actually, I, when you when you boil it down i think yeah, yeah it's the parent's responsibility and they have to be aware is it not everyone's child is it okay for my child to watch this yeah because like i watched i remember i watched aliens i was way too young to watch aliens but i watched it and i'm fine i don't I've, i'm fine mm. with it <laughs> yeah, some that, you have that thing where you get really scared whenever you see an alien though i am scared of spiders did you watch arachnophobia i did well there you go um, no, it's just the fact that spiders are <laughs> fucking terrifying. That's why. If it's the BBC's responsibility, to an then extent. you can. I don't know. You could say that about anything. Then fair enough. It might have been too close to the watershed, but you wouldn't be able to put anything on TV. Hmm. If that's you know, if you're worried, you can't put like Itchy the Killer on or some her- terrifying Japanese or Korean horror yeah. film. You can't ever put that on because someone might think oh, I'm going to go and do that mm-hmm. under those circumstances. It's not, this is, I think it comes down to the same argument that people have about video games and them causing, you know, school shootings. I don't really think it's enough of a link to ever feel like the game is responsible. No, it is 100% the parent. Actually, I don't don't know, this is a bit of a tangent again, but speaking of video games, that one winds me up the most Mm, more than anything else. Because kid parents 
will quite happily go out and buy Grand Theft Auto Five for their seven-year-olds. I love that game, and it, but seven-year-olds probably shouldn't be playing it. But the parents don't listen. No, they don't read. Mm-hmm. They don't look at it. Uh, if I it's was got a, parent, a woman, <laughs> yeah, it's just don't... this has gone so Daily Mail. <laughs> No, 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 it's gone oh, the opposite. It's gone the opposite. Of opposite. You're, so you're, you're blaming the parents. You're saying, oh, the, the parents, they're all to the blame. The would they're... never blame yeah, the parents. They blame they the don't... game. No, but you're, you're, you're demonising the parents in the same way as demonising... Yeah. Uh, you, what I think the, what you're uh, missing here is that there isn't a problem at all. And yeah, those seven-year-olds, okay. they're not being corrupted by this. And yeah, it might be a bit dicey mm-hmm. content, but at the end of the day, it's not really actually causing any harm. No, well, I, I agree with that. Mm. Um, but... Like yeah, Grand Theft Auto. My natural reaction is to blame someone. God, I'm going to be a Daily Mail person when I'm older. <laughs> yeah, that's... games, games like that though. They're like I play Grand Theft Auto and I kill people mm-hmm. so that I don't have to in real life. <laughs> it's, it's blowing off steam. It's <laughs> yeah. a release. So the murder rate would be higher if Grand of course Theft Auto it would. didn't. Grand Theft Auto exist. is not making me think I'm going to go out and kill. It's making me think I'm going to stay in and kill, and then I don't have <laughs> to don't go have out to get and up. kill. Yeah, I don't like having to get out of the house. So. <laughs> it's convenient. Scratching an itch. <laughs> so what's our conclusion? We're not sure. On um, censorship? Well, not censorship, just in general. Like, in this specific case, is this the BBC's fault? Is it the parents' fault? Is it anyone's fault? Is it just a tragedy that happened? I think it's just a tragedy that happened. I think so. I think that's it. Sometimes shit happens. I think these things have to be made, and don't. I don't. I'm completely against censorship. Anyway. Yeah. And if he had, um, if he'd killed himself because of just because of this program, there's plenty of other harrowing stuff that yeah. you could have seen anywhere and you know what? that I was could probably, have caused it was probably a bit thing. harsh of me to say blame the parents because you can't because judging by this something else would have yeah. spooked it, it yeah. could have easily been a news story or yeah. a nursery rhyme and the world continues to go on so continues to have. No, you can't avoid it and you can't just spend your entire time protecting that group of people no you can't so I, tra- I think we'll settle with that being a tragedy okay done interestingly um there was a documentary made in 2012 ghost watch behind the curtains a retrospective documentary um released on dvd in 2013 chronicling the making of and reaction to ghost watch which i can't find and haven't seen but i would like to yeah, it sounds interesting. I would recommend, if you want some actual insight into this <laughs> beyond the, the ramblings of three people who yeah. didn't even know that they were going to be talking about this an hour ago, um, then search that out. It's got a nice cover. It does. I can tell you that much. Um, so, yeah, it could be interesting. But mm-hmm. I, I definitely, the, this conversation has made me want to, to watch it again. I think I'll be watching it and I'll watch the documentary as well. This does sound very interesting. It's, it's a shame a I've had fascinating it. program. It's a shame I've had it completely spoiled for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it turns yeah, out it it's sounds... not real, Jack. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shit. Good evening, and not since Paul Daniels looked as if he'd breathed his last in a seal vault, apparently crushed to death six Halloweens ago, terribly sad, has there been such a fuss. 
Ghostwatch. My 11-year-old son was left shaking and physically sick after 10 minutes. Prior warning should have been given, so we had some idea of what was to come. And? The BBC should be locked up for such a prank. I guessed halfway through it was a hoax, but people do live in haunted houses. They're frightened enough without being ridiculed by Michael Parkinson. Or? I have a helpline for people in distress, and I received over 300 calls. In fact, I thought Ghostwatch was brilliant, but it was introduced as a drama, and many of the people I helped did not understand that drama means fiction. OK, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Ghostwatch totally fooled me and scared me half to death. I've never been so terrified in my whole life. Says Linda Beach of Liverpool and... Absolutely brilliant. Says Richard Stewart of Brentwood. My wife and I sat riveted to our seat believing it was all truly happening. I'm so pleased we didn't spoil the illusion in advance by looking in the Radio Times and realising it was a spoof. Or, if you prefer, MP Parker of Dorset. An arrogant and clumsy dissection of the paranormal. Prejudice for the trivial purpose of providing family entertainment. A sick joke. And for the record, there were on the night a total of 835 calls to the duty office. 382 viewers rang to say it was an insult to their intelligence. 275 thought it in poor taste. Another 62 just had a general moan. And 116 rang to say they thoroughly enjoyed it. No one congratulated Sarah Green on her acting, but perhaps they were too busy worrying if she'd gone missing forever in the cupboard under the stairs. Did you, either of you have any TV shows that you feel really damaged you as a kid, or films? I know you mentioned um, Aliens, Chris, but you were. Yeah, it didn't. No, it didn't damage it me. Did, no. no. Um, I actually, yeah. Funnily enough, I watched the Blair Witch Project, which is a funny one because nothing happened in it. Mm. I, I love it. I love it now. I think it's but great. It creeps film. me out. But it's, it's nothing, when you watch that film back, nothing happens. It's just people going it's just on a psycho- bit of a walk. Psychological, isn't it? But yeah, it, but you're sharing their fear. Exactly. With it's the same thing this does, and that's obviously they are a big inspiration. Yeah. Um, but that that creeps me out because especially the first time you watch it, and they did the thing as well, which wasn't as successful, where you pretend that this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much to work out though that it's not. But at that age, I sort of was into it a bit more before I went oh well actually no but that was a genuine creepy film yeah Phil um, I watched Gremlins much too young hmm. um, Gremlins is a very misleading one because it, that is quite scary it is well it's a, but you watch now and it's it, the comedy is a mm. lot more obvious when you watch it but when I saw it and I can't I must have been nine or ten when I watched it that proper creeped me out and yeah that led to some some sleepless nights um, which my mum and dad found hilarious. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, the Phil's parents' parenting <laughs> called into question there. Uh, mine, you're going to laugh at me now because yours are both quite hardcore. Um, well, I don't know if Gremlins is, but it is more than mine. Mine would be 999 with Michael Burke. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Remember that joke? <laughs> So, is that where Michael Beck was telling true stories about people like getting lost? Yeah, people that would need um, at the emergency yeah. services, basically, or mainly ambulance and, yeah. and fire. Uh, and it was every week I would watch it for whatever reason, and it would be some horrible story about like a child getting stung by a thousand wasps and having a, an allergic reaction to someone falling down a well and being trapped down there for days. And they were all just perfectly legitimate scenarios that you could envision happening to you. Mm. And that it just terrified me, yeah. and I think that's part of the reason why I'm scared to do anything these days. Wow, it's oh, Michael so Burke's fault. It's all that down like to Michael are. Burke. Yeah. How are you with um, Crime Watch when that when that was on? I, I never really watched Crime Watch. Well, honest. that was okay because at the end they tell you to not have nightmares, so they they, <laughs> they fixed the problem. Oh, okay. They gave you the Phew. problem, then they took it away at the end, <laughs> so that's fine. 
Um, I remember a news story when I was seven or eight about um, a satellite that was coming out of orbit and was going to crash land somewhere on the Earth and nobody knew where, mm. and that got me. I was convinced that that was coming through my house and going to land on my bed. Yeah, I, a lot of mine were were news related. I was really concerned about um, Kosovo when I was about <laughs> when I was about five or six. I was really concerned about Kosovo. Actually, I've, I've I've got one of these as well. These true like news ones. Do you remember when the total eclipse happened? Yes, nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. And they were like, "Don't don't stare at the sun." Mm. Just don't stare at it because you'll go blind. Your eyeballs will explode. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know what I was doing, but I looked at the sun. Not for like for a, a, gl- <laughs> a glance to the sun, and for about a week, I thought oh, I'm gonna go blind. When's it gonna happen? Oh, and I would wake up in the morning and go yes <laughs> for, for about a week. <laughs> right. A. <clears throat> obviously, it would happen straight away. But B. We were eleven. Right? <laughs> we should have been old enough to know that. Wasn't I didn't well, because they, they terrified me. They said, "Don't look at the bloody sun." Mm. I thought I'm going to look at the sun, so I looked at the sun. Well, what terrified me as as uh, when that was happening is that previous to that, I was always looking right at the sun. <laughs> so I thought, have I done damage? And in later life, are my eyes going to go to shit? So, yeah, that obviously did scare quite a lot of children. Then, mm. well, I think there are some things you should be scared off of doing. Yeah, don't stare at the sun. Yeah, don't. Mm. And so ends our second special episode, special bonus episode of Wikishuffle. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope that you've um, learnt something about Ghostwatch um, and might feel the need to go out and have a, a watch yourself. Um, I should probably mention um, Mike Smith died last year, when we should say, because I, yeah. I really liked Mike Smith, mm-hmm. and that was a real shame that he died last year. So, um, there. Yeah, always nice to end on yeah, a sour note. Yeah, let's end on a, on a, on a really happy note to um, poor Mike Smith. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. Um, we will be back to our scheduled broadcast um, on every Tuesday. We'll be releasing our new normal episode. Um, and then um, Jack will be back in the presenting chair as well. So you'll get a little bit more professionalism in this delivery. <laughs> <laughs> cameraman I mean it's difficult to know even if anybody's still still with us but if they are this is the the scene in this in this studio this totally deserted studio so auto keeps working round and round the garden like a teddy bear
tits everywhere. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 